Welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio, your host Chris Honholtz and Richard Story joining you on, the well, I guess you could say Election Day Eve, <laughs> if that's how we want to start celebrating things. Uh, it is now November 7th, 2022. We appreciate your patience over the last couple days. We had meant to do this over the weekend, and of course... Well, when storms hit in Mississippi, internet is interesting. So <laughs> Rich, uh, Rich had to fend off the the gremlins uh, just to keep the uh, the internet even functional. So we didn't even try to record over the weekend, and uh, we're able to join you on this Monday night right before the midterm elections here in the United States. If you do listen outside the United States, um, well. Looking at some news, you all are paying attention to what's going on over here that maybe some people that live here. Um, but uh, yeah, tom- tomorrow is the big day. It, you know, here in America, we decide what's going to happen. And if you listen to certain political parties, apparently all of us people who vote for Republicans are terrorists, and we're gonna we're gonna create the next uh, the ne- next Reich, I, I guess. Uh, if you listen to the president, but uh, the rest of us just go, well, we kind of tired of being plunged down the the hole of Marxism, so we voted the other side of the ticket, and we hope a lot of you guys lose your jobs. So <laughs> that's uh, we're gonna be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, although, Rich, I did find it very interesting that uh, according to Politico, uh, 2020 was the most secure election ever. We've been told, and according to <laughs> according to Politico, the, the, all the all the all those rumors were 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 phony. It was it was all a big lie. But you know, it could still happen. They are literally running the ticket now as saying hackers could try to interfere with the election tomorrow in America. So apparently, it was the absolute most secure ever. If the Democrats win, and you are a a, a, a homegrown terrorist if you question that but tomorrow if somebody with a blue next to their name uh doesn't win then you can question election election integrity and apparently russia is involved in and hackers and uh, little green men from mars i guess i don't know anyway so <laughs> get your popcorn out tomorrow should be interesting um you know and and of course as we're drumming up into the next couple of years, and this will play a little bit into what we we're talking about tonight. Uh, one of the things you and I talked about, Rich, in our concerns about Donald Trump in the 2016 election was all the 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 arguments. Oh, he's a Christian. He's a baby Christian. Uh, you know, we, you know, he's he holds Christian positions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And well, you know, Paula White was his political or his spiritual advisor. Yeah, that that Paula White, the heretic. Um, so who, who, who prayed at, at Trump's big save America rally? Oh, the chief of the heretics, Kenneth Copeland. Yeah, great. Uh, so, um, we're watching the marketing of the Christian faith and they can't even bring somebody of at least some substance of the Christian faith. No, we got to find the chief heretic on TBN leading the greatest and largest denomination of demonically inspired false teaching. Kenneth Copeland, that's that's great, man. This next couple of years is going to be bizarre as we go into the next election election cycle. So get your popcorn and get ready. So, but uh, thank you for joining with us. And by the way, I always want to remind you we are part of the Christian Podcast Community, and uh, we always encourage you to check that site out. Check out the various podcasts that are on there. It's such such a blessing to be a part of that. I want to remind you check out our website, slavetothekeng.com. Uh, that's where you're going to be able to find updated information. If we put out articles, all our new episodes, uh, social media links, ways to support the program, uh, the, the ability to get merchandise. If you're interested in like a t-shirt or something, that's, uh, there's the links for that there and you can contact us directly. Just go to us to the contact link and you can email us. And, and, you know, some of you guys have been really great about keeping, uh, us informed. In fact, we had a really wonderful, I should I should pull this up if and read this. This was really uh, just a fantastic. I don't even think I shared this one with you, Rich, but um, <coughs> excuse me. But we had a really wonderful comment from somebody on our one of more recent episodes, and um, let's see if I can find the comment. Of course, the page wants to load slow, so let's let's see here if it'll be <laughs> if it'll come up. Uh, and now it doesn't want to show me any comments. Where are the comments? There they are. So. Um, if you if you have thoughts about the show, if you have 
concerns, questions, or you, you appreciate, then you know, let us know, number one, but let others know, too, because you can do that by leaving comments. You can share the show with a comment. Uh, you can go to, like... Apple Podcasts, and they have the ability to drop a review of the show. This is ways that you can help people know what the show is about and how useful it is uh, to you and how helpful it's been or how much of a blessing it's been. Of course, if you can't stand the show, you can do those things too. That's entirely up to you. Um, we just hope that if you find something uh, useful and something that points you to Christ and helps you grow, then maybe you can share that with others. But we had a, uh, it was actually a comment on the original article when we did our episode last time about, you know, if, if, if God's real, why is my life so terrible? That was based off an article I posted and one of our listeners, Barbara, she made a comment on that. And I just want to share this with you because I think this is what makes what we do so important because it helps the body of Christ in some tertiary way. And so she writes on this, uh, this comment, I just joined a social media, not very social, but it's a type of media and it's her first share. And she shared, tells which website it is. She said, my, first, my salvation came in the first six months of what has been almost 30 years of physical suffering. A brand new believer and finding myself with no job, in pain, and no answers. It took two, three years to, uh, uh, took three years to stop, just stop searching for a way to be healed. Lots of money I didn't have and no relief. Once I stopped, stopped surrendered to the Lord's will, my emotions began to take a back seat and my mind began to grasp biblical truth. Not being healed keeps me closer to the Lord. I am that lamb that wanders quickly on my own reliance. Every suffering, every new suffering is hard. I cry with pain. I suffer. But then my soul remembers the truth. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Doctors are great, mostly. But truly, there's, um, there's more wisdom in the word. Why do I suffer? Why not? Let me, O oh Lord, be an example of a cheerful Christian. I have so much to look forward to. Jesus suffered more and unjustly than I ever will. God ordains all things, but who can charge God with any wrongdoing? And then she says, great podcast, well-written article, sufferers, people, watch you. You can't fake anything, and they know that too. So when they see you suffering with your family fully intact and joyful, they are encouraged. God bless. Now, I share that. Number one, because Barbara is a dear sister, we're grateful for her. Uh, but number two, this is just to show when we do these programs and we talk about these things, we hope that we are blessing you in some way. This is one of those ways that we, we get to see that. We don't want a pat on the back. We're not looking for reassurance that you, you're saying that we're saying things that you like. But number one, this is this is helpful to us because we now know that you're listening and something has blessed you in some way. But number two... As these articles or these um, episodes get shared, when you share that kind of feedback, it helps other people know that the Lord is using either this program, you, your circumstances, whatever it may be, to grow you in the faith. So we just ask if you have any consideration for sharing something, just leave a comment. Or if you want to, uh, you know, share it in such a way, like with a review or a comment on the on the Slave to the King page or something like that, that helps others to know what's the content, what's the context, what's this about, and how did it help you? Those are just ways that you can help and uh, you know be a blessing to the body with this program. Uh, so we just ask you to consider doing that. It's entirely up to you, but, you know, prayerfully consider doing that uh, between you and the Lord, and and we'll leave it at that. But uh, certainly we encourage you to sign up on, as a follower on the uh, on the page itself, uh, and we hope that we continue to serve you in some capacity. So uh, despite the gremlins, and the gremlins have tried to attack Rich tonight, his phone and his uh, headset and everything didn't want to connect at all. Aside from the gremlin attacks, how are you doing this week, brother? <laughs> so, as always, brother, better than I deserve. And interesting that you mentioned Kenneth Copeland because it was two or three days ago, and it was before that came out, I sent you a message and told you that evidently Kenneth Copeland did not receive my memo because <laughs> I, you know, I was wanting him to divert the weather and, and make it go in another direction because, you know, as most of our normal listeners know, I'm physically disabled and I have different issues, but um, of all superpowers, being a human barometer is about <laughs> the most useless of them all. Um, I can detect bad weather coming from about a hundred miles away. 
and sometimes it'll trigger a flare in my body. And as you said, a lot more times than not, bad storms come through my part of the world. And for whatever reason, the internet and the cell connections just kind of go all over the place. But I just found that rather funny, the fact that I had mentioned that to you the other day, and then all of a sudden, Kenneth Copeland, of all people, is up on at, on the stage with yeah. Donald Trump. And, you know, like you said, we've discussed and covered all those issues to a great deal in the past. But it, it comes back around, really, to where American evangelicalism, for lack of a better word, has just gone crazy. Yeah. I mean, in this day and age, if you if you say, okay, I believe in the Trinity, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, that's it. That's all the proof that they need. You know, automatically you're a Christian. You know, you, you worship the same Christ of the Bible as I do. You know, everyone that claims to be a Christian is. We don't, we don't have the right to question anybody. We've just all got to get along. But that is not what the Bible actually teaches us. And sadly, over especially the last 50 years, this whole debate and discussion over fighting for religious liberty and fighting for religious freedom has caused the biggest majority of professing Christians and those within American evangelicalism has caused them to think, well, if I'm fighting for their religious freedom and liberty, then I need to accept it. And then it went from accepting it to embracing it, mm-hmm. from embracing it to proclaiming it themselves to where, you know, we get ones like Kenneth Copeland that you probably could go around and ask 20 people if he's a Christian. And I dare say, depending on what part of the country you're in, probably 18 out of 20 would say, yeah, he's a Christian because he claims to be one. Yeah, I mean, I saw some of our brethren online getting just slam dunked hard for proclaiming that Kenneth Copeland mm-hmm. was a false teacher. I mean, at this point and stage in the game, everyone under the sun should understand that, but sadly they don't. And part of that is because American Christians in America have come to accept and believe almost anything under the sun except what the Bible actually yeah. claims about itself. One of those things that has become a norm, sadly, among professing Christians in the United States is the willingness to partner with and undergo whatever type of endeavor with Roman Catholics, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, I don't remember the exact statistics, but it wasn't too long ago, the Ligonier State of Theology or State of Christianity, mm-hmm. I can't What's, what's, what's it called? Uh, State, State of, of theology. theology in America. State of Theology, yeah. yeah. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was like the vast majority of professing Christians in this country say, yeah, they're Christians. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons we could get into why that has become so predominantly held to and believed in America. But tonight's focus is not on the why it's more we're going back to the basics to what scripture actually says and declares and in today's world you know if someone agrees with us about abortion nothing else matters we're going to partner with them and fight tooth and nail to end abortion but is that the biblical way and i think more people in america think well the ends do justify the means but the thing is are we honoring christ in the way that we're trying to bring about the end of something. Right. And most of what I see, the answer would have to be an emphatic no, because especially in abortion ministry, we see so many ministries willing to partner with Catholics or anyone else, as long as they're standing against abortion. And yes, I'm using abortion as the focal point, because that is something everyone's familiar with at this point. And at least most of our normal listeners, you know, know people that are involved in abortion ministry or maybe themselves. Thankfully, the solid brethren do not partner with the Catholics, but I'm, I'm diverting just a little bit. Um, there was two main focuses for tonight's discussion. First, and I've asked people this, and I've gotten all kinds of answers. 
and I'm going to just ask this, not necessarily for you to answer, Chris. Mm -hmm. In the scriptures, when Paul talks about if someone brings another gospel, let him be accursed. When he talks about the, the, I think, the, I don't remember if it was Galatians or Corinthians. I think it's Corinthians, Second Corinthians. When he says, if someone brings a different gospel, you put up with it readily enough. When he talks about, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, and that gets a little bit different. But still, there's a central theme that runs throughout all of Paul's epistles. And I, I don't remember if, it's in, if he mentions it in every epistle. But I know it's mentioned in most epistles. What is the false gospel that Paul fought tooth and nail against? What is the false gospel that was believed that caused people to want to see him dead? I mean, time and time and time again, there were riots from one city to the next. When he finally made it in his final trip to Jerusalem, what was it that caused the riot that they, they, the Romans came in to rescue him from. There's one thing that holds true throughout all, throughout all of this, and it's also the same thing that is predominantly believed by all religions in the world today. What was the false gospel that Paul fought against? It was the, the teaching of salvation through works. Correct. And sadly, more people... Well, not more people, but I've had quite a number of people, and we see it in all different avenues in discussions. One of the first things they try to do is say, well, Paul was just writing his opinions. Well, Paul was just this. Paul was just that. But yet they will go to other verses by that same apostle and try to use them to justify what they believe. And I've noticed for most heresies and most denominations, they generally grow out of one verse of the Bible that's taken out of context and twisted and morphed and an entire denomination is built around one statement. And in opposition to work salvation, and we'll get into this in a moment, there's a verse from James. But for those listening, and I've seen several of our brethren lately speaking that, that, that you know, they're trying to witness to a family member or a friend that is caught up or a member of a Roman Catholic church, or they're, they have gotten involved with becoming a Mormon or Jehovah's Witnesses or one of the other thousands upon thousands of works-based religions. But there's one verse, and reading and studying and going through this over the last couple of weeks, there's one verse to me that jumps out and refutes every notion of works-based salvation. And it's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It states, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you are trying to witness to a family member or friend that is adhering to some form of works-based salvation, start with this verse. Let this be your basic go-to verse, and as you grow in understanding and as you grow to be able to articulate truths that are in the Bible, you can grow from this one verse. Um, as you're taking them through Scripture and you're having these discussions with them, you know they'll come up with all type of arguments and objections to what you say, but this is one of a thousand different verses in the New Testament that you can point to. First thing is ask them, okay, is the Bible the Word of God? More times than not, they'll say yes. Do you believe the Bible is true? More times than not, they'll say yes. You point to this verse, and you grow from this verse. You can grow from this one verse and read this verse to them and ask them, okay, this verse clearly states salvation is not by works. So, who is wrong? Who's in error in their belief? Is the Bible wrong when it states this? Or is there a possibility that you could be wrong in your understanding? Is it possible that what you've been taught is in error, is not in line with what the Bible teaches? 
and then you can expand on that. And as you read and study, especially the New Testament, I mean, Paul, the entire book of Romans is denouncing work salvation. The entire book in 2 Corinthians is denouncing work salvation. There are literally hundreds, if not thousands of verses in Scripture that denounces works salvation. Works, I mean, salvation by works. Another one that would be a great go-to right right out of the gate is Galatians 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There's another one. It's saying the same thing, just worded different. We are not justified, we're not saved through works. In our flesh, we, there's nothing that we can do to please God. It's only through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if, and if you come across someone that objects just because this was written by Paul, if you're dealing with a red-letter Christian, meaning that they only think that the letters in red are the words of Christ, then go to Christ himself. Go to John 3 right after Nicodemus came to him by night. Christ told Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is the spirit. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one is, comes through me except being drawn by the Father. Works has absolutely no portion in that. Works cannot create spirit born of the spirit. So I'm just going to kind of stop right there and see if you have anything you want to add at this point, brother. Uh, no, absolutely. Uh, first off, that is probably the biggest problem that we see when any conversation, I mean, apart from someone who just utterly rejects the Word of God, and you're going to have to take them through God's righteous standard and help them understand they are a sinner in in uh, facing condemnation. If you're dealing with someone with any kind of a religious background, and if you ever want to have a real headache, just look at that Ligonier the, uh, state of theology. Um, there, there was, I think it was Nathaniel Jolly shared the other day. One of the things that they showed is that they forty-eight percent of Christians thinks that God changes as things happen, and so he 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 changes his his uh, his thinking or his uh, way of addressing things. God does not change. Scripture is clear about this. So the state of theology is is always a train wreck. It just seems to get worse every two years they put this out. But one of the things that you're talking about, Rich, is that most people tend to have this kind of Santa Claus view of God, that I've lived a pretty good life. I don't kill people. I don't steal. Uh, you know, take care of my family. Uh, you know, I try not to lie too much. You know, that kind of thing. And so they think that on the basis of how they evaluate themselves, that they believe that they're a good person, that they believe that they've done enough to merit something from God. That's that's the religion of works. That you know, when it comes down to it, there are two religions. There's the religion of man, which says I can somehow merit God's favor, whatever strange view of God you may paint. And there's a religion of God which says you can't do anything. That all our righteousness is as filthy rags. So there's even on your best day, it's still the most vile thing that you could present to God. So as you were saying, Rich, as you're taking them through these passages and showing them that their salvation cannot be merited by anything that they do, that it is a gift of God, they that challenges, and it's one of the reasons I think, especially you see it with progressive Christianity. Uh, these people that want to do like a social justice Christianity, what do they often do? Well, if you're not supporting this, 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 or this, if you're not, uh, you know, uh, in favor of love and tolerance as we define it, you can't be a Christian. Well, what are they saying? It's what you do that makes you a Christian. The difference is, is that true Christian faith is a faith that saves and then produces works. The religion of man is a religion that says you must earn salvation by your works. And so 
all these various iterations, even a, the word faith, uh, you know, we were talking about Kenneth Copeland, the word faith teaching is a work on your part to get God to do the things that you want. It is, again, putting high focus on the value of man and a very low focus on who God is. Only through the Christian faith, only through the the, uh, the the understanding that salvation is a gift of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his completed work, his death, burial, and resurrection on behalf of sinners, can we be saved. If we don't approach, if we don't address that issue with people who, to whom we are sharing the gospel, if we don't address that self-righteous pride that somehow I can merit something, if we don't take them to the foot of the cross and show them that the only way that they can receive salvation is by God's grace, that you have no other hope beside that, then we are doing nobody any favors. And when you, you were talking about, we are talking about at the beginning of the program, the you know, partnering with other faiths and stuff like that, and and how we kind of allow this, you know, well, we'll we'll join hands with people who have kind of like-minded directions. We are compromising the gospel itself because we are saying there is no difference. So when and and this will get us in a little bit of trouble uh, when Donald Trump, who a lot of Christians. Uh, you know, have a lot of respect for, and I want to be careful how I phrase that, puts a Kenneth Copeland up there and we all go, no, you don't put the chief heretic of the most demonic, twisted version of Christianity out there to pray for your rally. You don't do that. And people, as you said, Rich, go on the attack. What you've said is you don't value the gospel of grace, that the the, a, a quote-unquote gospel of works, a gospel which says um, you can merit something from God. You have so devalued that that now, what does it now mean? What 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 do you care? What it, what do you have to present if you are willing to lock arm in arm with people who do this? And and to uh, to for everybody listening, you had mentioned. Uh, what Paul had written about you, you accept, you put up with it readily enough. It's Second Corinthians eleven four, where he says, "For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, a Jesus of works, than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received from Paul and from the apostles, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough." In, in other words, it's like we taught you the gospel of grace. And yet, somebody comes to you with a different gospel, a different Jesus, a, a gospel of works, eh, you accept it just fine. And Rich, I think that I, I completely agree with you. This is one of the, the, the cornerstones of the Reformation, that we were not saved by works. We could not do any works of love, as the Catholic Church would put it. It is all of grace. And it is grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And that is one of the key cornerstones to the Reformation, the recapturing of the gospel. And if we don't get back to that, if we don't make that the core of our witnessing, we do nobody any favors because then we can kind of just allow them to think, well, it doesn't really matter what I believe. Um, you're being too much of a stickler on these things, yada, yada. It's this is this is key to the gospel message itself. Well, the thing is, every heresy that you could read about or or learn about goes right back to its core of belief in some form of works based mm -hmm. righteousness, works based salvation. And I know that we're going to have some people that take exception to what we're saying tonight. But the false gospel Paul fought against was works-based salvation. Paul said, if anyone brings a different gospel, let him be accursed. My question is, why are so many professing Christians willing to partner with anyone under the sun who claims 
the name of Christ. Because, for one thing, they don't read and understand themselves. Now, from an evangelism standpoint, if you're trying to witness to someone and have these discussions with them, you need to remember, you will never grant them understanding through your mm-hmm. words. That veil remains over their face. Only through Christ is that veil lifted and removed. You can argue till you're blue in the face, but you'll argue, your arguments will never save someone. Now, I have no problem with apologetics. I have no problem with brothers and sisters who use apologetics. But getting down to the very basic core starting point, especially for someone that is maybe new to the faith or really not versed in evangelism that hasn't spent, you know, years digging in all these different apologetics. Um, It really comes back to what Paul said. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Sometimes I think we take the simplicity of the gospel Mm -hmm. and try to overcomplicate it when more times than not, all we really need to do is to focus on that one simple message that is as deep as the ocean. The the simplicity of the gospel is so easy that a child can understand, but so deep and complex, theologians can spend 40 or 50 years trying to understand and completely comprehend every aspect of it. But it really comes back down to that. If you're engaging with a Roman Catholic, a Mormon, or a Jehovah's Witness, or a Muslim, or any other of these other religions that believe in some form of works-based righteousness, especially if they claim to be quote-unquote Christian, start with the verses themselves. Start with that in Ephesians and just simply read, read it to them and ask them, okay, if you can be saved by your works, if you can be, if you're salvation, continuing to be saved is dependent upon your works, then explain to me what this verse means. Prompt them with questions that's going to make them think, make them consider what these other verses say. Um, of course, in, in our time, we did consider tonight's episode just a baseline starting point with these issues. The links in our show notes will help you go a little bit deeper in understanding some of these things, and we'll provide more verses and more resources than what we have available in our time tonight that we can share and discuss, because this is one of those topics Chris and I were talking about in pre-show. We probably could actually spend 20 episodes just discussing this one truth, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It is a gift of God not of work, so that no one may boast. If salvation was attainable by works, if, Chris, if you could obtain obtain salvation through your good deeds, through what you're doing, through your works, through trying to do, 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 whatever, you would have reason to boast in your salvation. Mm-hmm. Man wants the glory for his own decisions. Man wants credit for what he's doing and wants to deny the glory in Christ because when you're doing these works on the outside, they may seem great. They may seem honorable. You may have grown up in a Roman Catholic church and this is what you've been taught your entire life. But the question is, is what is, what have you been, what you've been taught? Is it biblical? And regardless of whether you've been raised, taught that you need to work to earn your salvation. And there's other denominations that are quote-unquote listed under Protestant denominations these days that believe in a works form of salvation. Go to the Bible, open it and read it for yourself. Start at this verse and read it. And then expand. Read the book of Romans. Read the book of Galatians. Read the entirety of Ephesians. Read John 3. Read, I mean, there's so many, and like I said, some of those are in the notes, but honestly, it comes down to this. If we can obtain salvation, if we can obtain the righteousness of Christ through our works, then why did Christ come, live, die, and raise again from the dead? 
if our being able to obtain salvation was through our works, why did Christ come at all? Mm-hmm. Christ answered that question himself. He came to fulfill the law. He was the promised hope given to Abraham. Abraham. He was the promised Messiah that the Jews had grown up for generations upon generations being pointed to. Paul was not chased down, stoned. People attempted to kill him. And all the riots that started in all the different cities listed in the book of Acts, all that did not happen because he was preaching Jesus Christ. It happened because he was preaching that Jesus is the only way to Mm -hmm. salvation, that you cannot be saved by your works. I've had people say, well, all that started because of the Roman gods and because, you know, he was saying that gods made by hand were not real gods. Well, yeah, in one instance, that was the reason that was given that we need to drive this crazy man out of town. It was an entrepreneur who made those house idols to those false gods. But that was in one instance. All the other times, it was instigated by the Jews who said, Paul is committing blasphemy. Mm -hmm. Paul is trying to change the traditions of what we've been raised under. And even then, other than that one account, even when he stood in the center of the Areopagus and proclaimed Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and proclaimed the one true God, he was not persecuted then. It was the Jews that were constantly after him, that were constantly wanting to put him to death. Because in their eyes, he was blaspheming by calling Christ mm-hmm. the only way to heaven. It went against their traditions. It went against five, six, seven, eight hundred years of what they'd been taught. It went against what they believed Moses said. But without that veil of Moses, without Moses' veil being re- removed, they could not understand that Christ was the fulfillment of the law. Christ was the fulfillment of them having to work to earn their salvation. Christ was the propitiation. He was the atonement. He was the final blood sacrifice. All of the sacrifices, blood sacrifices that they have been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years was over, but they could not see and understand that. And even today, that is still, work salvation is still the most predominantly held to belief in the world, not just among Roman Catholics, but you have, I don't know how many, but there are a great number of denominations that fly under the banner of Protestant that believe that you have to work to earn your salvation. Sadly, this was not the case predominantly within Protestantism in America until, I mean, from 19, around 1960 prior if you claim to be a Protestant, whether it's Presbyterian, Baptist, or whatever, you held to the fact that salvation is through Christ alone. It was a gift of God. Every Protestant would denounce any form of works-based salvation prior to 1960. Now, we could do an entire show on what happened from 1960 forward, but starting at that point, going backwards, every man that's considered a solid preacher in Protestant history taught and proclaimed this one simple truth. Salvation is a gift of God. It's not by works. And as far back as you want to go, you could start there and work your way backwards. Charles Spurgeon, J.C. Ryle, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, getting on back into the Reformers, and going back further, all the way back to Martin Luther. Once this truth jumped out of the Bible and slapped him in the face, That's what led him to nail his 95 thesis Mm -hmm. to the door was this one simple truth that salvation cannot be earned. And from understanding and comprehending that one truth, we have what we have today, and it flourished. Somewhere between when Martin Luther understood this and a few men prior to him going back between then and going back to the when the New Testament canon was completed over the centuries, that truth got lost and forgotten. 
it was and well there's a lot of things Justin Peters had a really good discussion that Roman Catholic Roman the Roman Catholic Church is rooted in the Judaizers that were formed out of Christianity in that day. I don't remember where it was at, but he had a really good discussion on going into that aspect of it. But getting back to the bare bones of this, take this one verse from Ephesians and build on it and explain from Scripture why and how salvation is not from and by what you do. It's through what Christ did and is still doing today. Mm-hmm. Um um, let me read this real quick because it goes back to something you said earlier, mm-hmm. and I'll hand it back over to you. J.C. Ryle wrote, another, another consequence to be learned from our text is the great error committed by those who add anything to Christ as necessary to salvation. It is an easy thing to profess belief in Christ, in the Trinity, in the Lord Jesus, and yet to make some addition to Christ as the ground of hope, and so to overthrow the doctrine of the text is really and completely as buying, denying it altogether. J.C. Ryle is basically echoing what Chris just said, but something J.C. Ryle stated prior to 1900, that when you take the gospel and try to add anything else to it, you're actually tainting the gospel and completely denying it altogether. What were you wanting to say, brother? I uh, just wanted to address a, a couple of things. Number one, you had made a comment, you know, that I think it was very, very important. If we could earn or merit our salvation, why why did Christ come? And the sad truth of the matter is, is that so many false religious systems try to find a way to answer that question to fit their paradigm. To the Muslim, he was merely a prophet pointing toward the coming of Muhammad. To the Catholic, he died because, well, you still not need to somehow merit it, but you can't do it on your own. So he gives you a little push, a little infusion, so to speak, so that you're able to be obedient to the 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 liberal or um, progressivist Christian. His death, his his coming, and and his death. We're all about, uh, uh, you know, revealing his love and and suffering for oppression, and so every man-made religious system tries to redefine what Scripture clearly says. He is our propitiation. He died in our place. You know, in other words, I can't earn it. I'm incapable. Therefore, I have to have someone who can substitute for me that I might that you know my punishment which I deserve is put upon something else and everything about the Jewish faith points to that deliverance through a scapegoat through a sacrificial lamb through the death of another it's a whole, whole point of the whole book of Hebrews is that it points to the fact that the 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 law could not fulfill what Christ did, and that Christ is better. And the religious leaders of the of Christ's day, you know, Christ condemned them not because they were um, too conservative, rather that they added to the law, thus removing the fact that it pointed to the need for someone to sacrifice in your place. They added to the law they said that you could if you know if on on the sabbath one of the big things they hated jesus for because for example you heal on the sabbath oh you can't do that you have to do nothing on the sabbath and you know we can even define what nothing is and what what your limitations are because it added to the law the 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 belief that you could through the traditions of the pharisees earn salvation but we see from the apostles that the law is a schoolmaster. It is a guardian which leads us to Christ. The law revealed in its entirety that you couldn't do it. You were incapable of doing it. So when we look at the, the whole testimony of Scripture, and Rich, you were talking about all these verses and being able to lead people through the various passages and do, digging down in deep and showing that, 
Why do we do that? Because from Genesis to Revelation, we see a consistent message that man has fallen, that man has rejected the, the uh, authority and lordship of God and has sinned against him and has tried to tear God off of his throne and put himself in his place. And we, in our sin, even the least sin, is sufficient to be a rebellion against God. And it reveals the content of our heart every time we sin. As, I like it as, as so many have said, and Paul Washer's, uh, you know, in his shocking youth message, points this out amazingly. You don't sin. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. The law, the the testimony of Scripture from Genesis all the way up to the Gospels, is this drumbeat of the law revealing to man that you cannot do this on your own that there's this constant need for sacrifice this constant need for something else to die in your place because you can't merit it you can't achieve it something has to receive the punishment you earned and then in the gospels in Christ we see that salvation fulfilled Christ obeys all of the law in every aspect of it, every jot and tittle. He has fulfilled all of it. And then in our place, he becomes the sacrificial lamb, the one who takes on the punishment and the wrath that we deserve. That's why I think, you know, Rich, you know, I, I agree with you. I love people like, for example, a good friend of ours, James White, you know, Dr. White, is just brilliant when it comes to apologetics and he has debated Catholics and Muslims and Mormons in their facilities where they've got the home field advantage and he just it dismantles everything that they talk about but why why does he do that apologetics not because he proves he's smarter not because he proves his theological acumen but because it gives him the opportunity to do what? To point that salvation comes not through any man-made religious system, not through any law-keeping, not through any hope of uh, ability to merit even the smallest measure of kindness from God. Rather, none of it will do any good. None of it can accomplish anything. None of it can, can bring you into right standing with God that it is only by the Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in your place that the grace of God can be given to you because of God's mercy. And that's, I think, one of the things I just wanted to point out was, you know, everybody tries to find a way to define what Christ is. Oh, he was a good teacher. Oh, he was a prophet. Oh, he he's... Well, yeah, he he is God, but you know he didn't he did we don't like that whole dying in your place thing. So he just came to show you how much he loved you, and and really he he was an activist. He was he was somebody who uh, was fighting against oppression, and the, his death has nothing to do with your sin. It has everything to do with the fact that this is what happens when you stand against oppression, and and his death was about his love for the oppressed. It is this attempt to redefine who Christ is, and why he came. So I just wanted to point that out because I think there are a lot of people who will go, well, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but, and it's like, and we believe Jesus came, but, and we believe, you know, he said some decent things, but, and that's the problem is when you get to that, but you have to go, what does Christ himself say? And just, you mentioned red letter Christians. I got to say this because we do encounter this red letter Christian, couple of things. Number one, when you say only the red letters matter, number you have utterly rejected the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You have rejected all of Scripture because you have chosen what you think are the only important words. And somehow, despite the fact that you're not the Holy Spirit, despite the fact that you're not the one that spoke to God, despite the fact that the one you weren't an eyewitness to these things, you have decided, no, that's not Scripture because... I don't like that. And so only the red letters matter. Well, the same God who inspired the red letters is the God who inspired all of Scripture. So that's issue number one. Issue number two, those red letters that you're so fond of, Christ himself did not write. He didn't jot them down, hand them to the apostles and say, put this in the Bible. He's, you know, This was taken down by the very persons who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
they were the eyewitnesses to the testimony or interviewing the people who were eyewitnesses to that testimony. So Christ himself didn't even write those words. So you have to contend with the fact that all of Scripture is God-breathed or none of it is. So just got to address that as well. Uh, you know, I, it, it always bugs me when I hear of the red-letter Christians because they want to make God's Word compete with it and only to the extent that they like it. So uh, just wanted to point that out. But brother, I, I think you're absolutely on track is that we, this is the the greatest, most pressing need is that we must drill down to what is the gospel. It is this grace of God. It is the, the work of Christ that we cannot merit, and he only grants by his mercy if we would but just turn to him in repentance and faith. I absolutely agree with you. Well, one thing, too, work salvation basically systematically adds things to Christianity over and above the requirements of the gospel. I mean, when people are relying or preaching on work salvation, they're in essence are saying that the sufficient foundation for a sinner's soul is not in the finished work of Christ, but is in themselves. Um, and granted, you know, there are different aspects, and some people try to say, well, repentance and belief are a work. No, they are a gift from Christ. But so many of these false religions and ones like the Roman Catholic Church, they send priests and confessors. Well, let me see if I can find my note here. It's from J.C. Ryle on this part. He wrote, She sends men to priests and confessors, to penances and absolution, to masses and extreme unction, to fasting and bodily mortification, to the Virgin Mary and the saints, as if these things could add to the safety there is in Christ Jesus. And in doing this, she sends against the doctrine of God's word with a high hand, let us beware of any Romish hankering after additions to the simple way of the gospel from whatever quarter it may come. And we see that even in today's world, especially among those who claim to be Protestant, they are still adding to the gospel, you know, so much with the woke discussion over the last few years. Well, if you're really a Christian, you need to be doing this. Or if you're really a Christian, you must believe that all blacks should be paid reparations. You know, there are so many different examples we could put out there, but the simple fact remains that today's mainstream Protestants, they embrace the lies that the Protestant belief was founded on. They believe that you can partner with those who are preaching a workspace salvation, they, that you can partner with anyone as long as they're naming Christ, even if the Christ that they're talking about is one in their imagination. And, you know, sadly, we have to remind other professing Christians that the Reformers weren't killed and burned alive for believing and pronouncing Christ. They were executed because they denounced the heresy of the Roman Catholic mm -hmm. Church and the theology taught by the Roman Catholic Church, mainly that works salvation is not of Christ, and then you get into the transubstantiation discussions. But it wasn't because they were preaching Christ that the Reformers were executed and burned alive. It's because they were telling mm -hmm. the Roman Catholics, you cannot earn and work your way towards heaven. You cannot work and earn your salvation. And it's the same simple truth that people wanted to kill Paul over. It's the same truth that caused the Reformers to die. It's the same truth that birthed the Protestant denomination or the Protestant belief. But yet, these truths are held to by most professing Christians in America today, but yet they seem to forget that the truth they claim was the truth that caused so many martyrs over the thousands of years, well, in the last 2,000 years, and so many Christians are put to death even today around the world for proclaiming this one truth, that salvation is not by works. Most, A lot of these countries, especially Muslim countries, if you're just preaching and proclaiming Christ, they'll leave you alone. Once you start proclaiming that you cannot earn your way to heaven, you cannot be saved by your works, 
that goes completely against everything that they're taught in the Muslim religion. It goes against everything that's taught in the Catholic religion. And I just cannot understand in today's world why so many people who claim to be Christian in America, who claim to be Protestant, not only have thrown these truths aside, but are so willing to partner with these religions and these denominations that are proclaiming a false gospel. They believe and are proclaiming the exact same type of false gospel that Paul said, if someone brings this to you, let them be accursed. They're bringing something in that Christ himself denounced. When Christ said, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Either Christ is true, Christ is always right. You believe everything laid out in the Bible by Christ, or you believe none of it. Human, in the human mind, in the human heart, we can do nothing because we are nothing but sin. We're nothing but wretched sinners born for the wrath of God. When you're in John 3, and I think it's John three eighteen, and it said that the wrath of God remains on them, meaning you're born under the wrath of God. And without Christ, you will die under the wrath of God. No works could ever justify you 100% in the eyes of a completely holy God, his holy word. His word is holy because God is holy. And as we go forward, uh, I hope and pray that this helps some of our brethren at least give them a starting point in discussing these issues with those among them that hold to some form of works-based salvation belief. But hopefully you can take these, those, the, the verse from Galatians and Ephesians and build on that. But my hope is that it, we provide you at least a starting point tonight. Mm-hmm. But I cannot encourage you enough to read through the links provided because it goes in greater depth than what Chris and I can do in an hour-type format. But whatever you do this week as you go forward, whether you're doing it online with digital tracks, you're engaging in conversation, you're handing out tracks, or you're leaving tracks, whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation at least once a day. And I'm sorry to have to break this to you. The biblical way of salvation has nothing to do with working or earning your way to heaven. Amen. Amen. And just to, as, we're, as we're wrapping this up, I just want to address one thing that Rich said, that why, why would anyone, knowing that the, the that a works-based religion is a false religion, why would a Christian partner in, in, in some some sort of effort with them? And I think there's a couple of reasons. I think the one one is just, a complete lack of discernment. And that can be simply because they've not sought these things out, or it could be because you are not a Christian. You've you've professed the faith, but you don't possess it. You don't trust the word of God. You 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 want the fire insurance, you want the the you know, you, you like the sound of the fact that you're forgiven, but that's it's not God's word that rules your life. It's not God's authority that you submit to. That's one reason. Uh, another reason is when we lose sight of this precious truth of the gospel of grace. Um, we we kind of somewhat joked about it at the beginning with Donald Trump and having Kenneth Copeland up there, um, and, and we're kind of joking about the election stuff. What, there are people, there are Christians now, that the gospel takes a back seat to winning the next election. Now, I'm all for trying to put a stop to what the Biden regime is doing. But... When I see a prominent blue check on Twitter who worked in the you know Trump's administration promoting in a tweet that oh this is proof that Trump says what he you know what we believe that we bowed of no one but God and the picture being shared is Kenneth Copeland praying 
That is a complete compromise for the sake of politics. And in this same this same person, and 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 I don't want to. I'm not trying to be coy about this. I'm just I don't want to put the person's name out there because I don't want everybody to go and run and argue with this person. Um, in conversations with other Christians, saying, "Well, but I've partnered with feminists on on, on fighting against uh, transgender women, uh, transgenders in women's sports, and I've partnered with Catholics in in fighting against abortion." Stop, stop, and think about what you've said. You are willing to compromise your faith as a professing Christian to accomplish political goals. So, Rich, I think that's, that's two reasons that we can see is a lack of discernment, either because just not trained up in the scriptures, which is tragic, or because of a lack of genuine faith and that the, the scriptures do not rule their life. And so other things do. And so partnership with other religions who teach a false gospel it just is lacking. That's one reason. And another reason is a loss of understanding of what our primary mission is. Our primary mission is the discipleship of the nations, that we are to go out and proclaim the gospel. Now, there's different ways that that's going to be approached, and it could be a mom raising her kids and teaching them. It can be missionaries going across overseas. It can be sharing the gospel in, uh, to your neighbor. So many different ways in which that can be done. And even in your, look, as Christians, we say, when I'm engaged in politics, what is my primary concern? Is it is it that I won the country for the Republicans, or is it that I care about God and his word so much that I'm going to profess my faith by saying I will stand against that which the world says is uh, says is a great thing, is a virtue. I'm going to stand against that and say, no, God's word says. And so therefore, as I act out my faith, as I do the work of my faith, I'm going to vote in accordance. That should be how we profess. That should be one way in which we are professing the gospel. It should be clear that what we say about what we're voting is gospel-laden. Right, So there are many ways in which this can be done, but what we don't do is we don't compromise it because we want to achieve an end. And so therefore we'll partner with other people because they're pushing in the same direction as we are. So that's good enough for me. And I think, Rich, those are two very big reasons why we see Protestant Christians professing Protestant Christians, failing to recognize these huge chasm, this big gulf between the religion of man and the religion of God, and making partnerships because there is some temporal benefit. And I think that's one of the reasons there. So folks, hopefully what this episode did is it, it refocuses you and reminds you what's at stake. There is only one means of salvation, and that is the grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, as taught in our in, in our holy scriptures. There is no other way. And if you compromise that, if you're not willing to, you know, you want to stand shoulder to shoulder with someone and accomplish a temporal goal, but you don't want to share the truth because that might compromise that shoulder to shoulder effort, you've compromised your faith. And so hopefully this is encouraging you to go, there's a primary focus I must be engaged in, and that is the a biblical proclamation of the gospel, the biblical way of salvation. We must be about that, and we cannot dilute that. We cannot water that down. We cannot allow earthly partnerships to create a fog of confusion where we lose that. You know, may that be something that drives you this week. And tomorrow's the big, you know, big day, midterm elections, and well, if you listen to the the <laughs> the pundits, it could be weeks before we ever find out the the uh, the the end of uh, the 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 final results of elections that somehow we can tabulate in moments on a computer, but can't figure out for days and weeks what the answers are. Uh, but as you go into that, remember. God is a sovereign God. Everything that happens tomorrow and the next day and the day after that is entirely in his control. And so we, as his followers, yes, we live our lives in accordance with the scriptures. Yes, everything we do is, is uh, you know, 
defined by the scriptures and 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 we pray and we hope for good things to happen to the nation that we love but more than anything even if the worst thing happens tomorrow and it's all stolen and you know it was election uh you know cheating going on and 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 the democrats used that weeks of waiting to play games with the you know whatever whatever issues come up let's just paint the worst possible picture and it becomes a totalitarian dictatorship overnight. It doesn't change this amazing gospel of grace that you have. It is what gives you hope because you were saved by this precious gospel of grace. And now you get to spend eternity with Christ when this world comes to an end. And you have the wonderful and amazing opportunity to share this gospel with your neighbors, your friends, your loved ones, your co-workers, strangers on the street, people on the internet. You have this opportunity because God has put you here in this place at this time. So don't forsake that. Don't forget that. Don't lose sight of it. It is that is the reason you are here. So thank you for spending time with us this week. Again, thank you for giving us a couple extra days to deal with a variety of issues that come up. And uh, we hope to be back on track this coming week and try to get something out this weekend. But whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God. Preach the gospel. Pray for you know, you know, uh, the people that have heard the gospel. Thank God for the gospel by which he saved you. And then go out and serve your king, as our good friend Todd Friel so often says. God bless you guys. Good night. We'll see you next time.